cool. Thank you. Hey, folks, I want to um, preach this morning another one in the, me- in the series uh, on near-death experiences and how that illustrates that this Bible that we have is actually true. This is an amazing, amazing book. You know, we're so used to it that, that we take it or leave it, whether we pick it up, walk with it, uh, read it, that sort of thing. But there are still countries of the world. Um, I think China right now has brought in restrictions again. And, you know, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of Christians in the northern part of China who are in, in internment camps because they're Christians, you know. And Ch- China is shutting down again on, on just the freedom to, for the Bible. And so we need to really be aware of how, how precious this is. What I want to speak on this morning is hell and, and just what near-death experiences can, can tell us and does it match what the Bible actually says about hell. So I don't want it today to be a scary topic at all, but I do think if, if there is anyone here, um, it's kind of a PG-13 um, message really because uh, I think we've just got to be, be wise. It's something that's not preached on very much at all these days. Um, and the media is trying to completely shut it out of all conversation. You noticed? Yeah. Israel fell out? And all the uh, things around that, calling, saying that hell exists is hate speech. I, I loved what someone wrote and I read yesterday, uh, yesterday saying that if hell doesn't exist anyway, so why get upset about something that doesn't exist? <laughs> I thought, well, I don't agree with what you're saying, but I actually agree with your logic um, in, in trying to shut it out of... It's, it's like saying, you know, we shouldn't, um, we, it's, it's like worrying about Santa. But the actual reality is, near-death experiences do show that hell does exist. Let me just go over some of the things that near-death experiences uh, um, show, because they're amazing things that we can bring into conversations, and people are, are really keen to be able to talk about um, what's going on after death, what people come back from those experiences and tell us. And the first thing is, near-death experiences show us that we don't cease to exist when we die. We die physically, yet instantly we are still living. We continue to live. Our soul and our spirit are eternal. And people, when they come back, say they actually felt more alive than they did on this planet. Secondly, that it, they show us that what the Bible has said, that God exists in a state of light. And if you read Revelation chapter 1, where it speaks of John seeing Jesus after he had been glorified, gone to heaven, and he, he looks, or well, not so much exactly like this, but he is a, a being in light that's described there. And this is what people from near-death experiences tell us they saw as well. And then they come back and tell us that they ran into a being who just emanated love and they absolutely enjoyed and did not want to ever leave his presence again. And that love was incredibly personal, that he loved them. He would call them by their first name, sometimes by a pet name or a nickname that the person has. He knows them and loves them in that way. And people from all cultures and all continents of this world come back and tell us similar things. They don't run into someone who resembles Buddha. They don't run into a multi-armed blue person with an a blue person with an elephant's trunk. They meet someone that the Bible described accurately over 2000 years ago. And some researchers have studied western and non-western near-death experiences and they've concluded that everyone basically has although each is unique, everyone has 
a similar experience. That is an amazing fact that I just said. Thank you for being pleased about it. (laughs) These parallels um, just show us so strongly that this is the, the Word of God written thousands of years ago, but still true because God wrote it. But what about hell? If the Bible is true, surely some of the experiences aren't positive experiences. Surely some of the experiences people have are hellish ones. The Bible states there are three realms, earth and heaven and hell, all three. And hell was a place that was designed by God to contain and punish Satan and his fallen angels. And we need to understand that there is no one in hell at the present time. And by hell, I'm meaning Gehenna. There are three words that are translated with the English word hell. There's Gehenna, there's Tartarus, and there's Hades. And Gehenna is the, is the lake of fire to which the devil and his angels and human beings will be subjected in the very end. But there's no one there now. And I say that on the basis of Scripture. If we turn to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, it says, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all His angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. And that is when uh, the end of the age and, and the judgment actually takes place upon the people of, on this earth. And, and all the nations will be gathered in His presence, and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats, and He will place the sheep on His right hand and the goats at His left, and the King will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal, would you say eternal? Eternal fire. You see, there's some, some within Christianity who would, who would preach and believe annihilationism, that people that do not know Christ are just annihilated. There's blackness. But it's not what the Scripture says. It says the, this is an eternal fire, an eternal flame, prepared for the devil and his demons. And then in verse 46, it says, And they will go away, the, the, the goats will go away into eternal punishment. Would you say eternal again? But the righteous will go into eternal life. Would you say eternal again? Those are the same words. You see, you cannot have Christians having eternal life and non-Christians, people who reject Jesus Christ, not having eternal death and eternal separation. They're the same. Eternal is eternal. And so being cast into hell will... uh, happens after the return of the Lord to the earth for a second time, his literal return back here. But the Bible also describes a hell-like place that some fallen angels are already locked up in. And it also describes a hell-like place um, where, for people who have died in the Old Testament time. Let me, let me deal with the one about the angels, first of all. It would seem as if some angels were so evil and so malicious and intent on what they were doing, God said, no, you will be released in the the very end of the age. And if you know from Revelation, there are seasons when when beings are released and, and they come upon the earth and cause incredible trouble, but they are locked up at this point. In 2 Peter 2 verse 4, it says, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell. And that's the Greek word Tartarus, or the underworld, which means the underworld. Which possibly means the underworld. Within the earth. In gloomy pits of darkness, 
where they are being held until the day of judgment. And then Jesus told a story to illustrate to the Pharisees the foolishness of their way of life. And he told this story, which I'll I'll, um, take some out of now. And he was saying to the Pharisees, there are eternal consequences for the way that you are acting, particularly towards me as the the Messiah, the Son of God, the one that God has sent to you as a people. And yet you religious leaders are not seeing me. And by and large, they are still rejecting and not seeing Jesus for who he is. But in Luke chapter 16, Jesus says this. He says, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus stayed there, lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The King James says, to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to a place, the place of the dead. And that's the Greek word Hades. And there, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. So he's describing a waiting place that has two compartments. One that has, has torment for people, and another that Abraham inhabits, or was inhabiting at that stage, that, that is a place that's not in torment at all, but is a, a waiting place, because Jesus hadn't died yet at this point, but those who, who had died with a heart towards God, a heart, a heart of softness, a heart, a heart that acknowledged um, uh, the, the reality of what God's message through the entire Bible is that He will save us. And, and people who had, had worshipped and on that basis and had died before Jesus had died were there. And so the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted. And you are in anguish. And besides this, there is a great chasm. There is a huge, great chasm that no one can cross over from here to there. No one can go over that. So when Jesus died, here's a question for you. When Jesus died, what did he do for three days and three nights? Where did he go? He preached in Hades. That's right. He went to and preached to those in the waiting place, in the paradise side of the waiting place. And Ephesians 4, verses 8 and 9, I haven't got it on the screen, so don't worry about that. It says this. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Remember Tartarus? is that underworld. It's the meaning of the word. And in Matthew chapter 27, and again, I haven't got this on the screen, uh, verses 52, 53, it says, And tombs were opened, and the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. This is when Jesus uh, uh, resurrected, when he died and then resurrected. Bodies of many godly men and women were raised from the dead. And they left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. 
This is Jesus after he's preached to the people in, in the way, this side of the waiting place. They have erupted out of graves and wandered through Jerusalem for a period of time before ascending to heaven. Can you imagine what it was like walking the streets in those days? You know, your great uncle comes along to see you. Abraham, Moses, walking the streets of Jerusalem, talking with people maybe, but certainly being visible. They headed to the very center of, of, of the city. It's wonderful. And the scripture goes on and it says, Now when a Christian dies, to die is to be present with the Lord. But this other hellish-like side of the waiting place still exists, to hold those not destined for heaven, but destined for judgment. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of an overview of what the Bible paints of before Jesus when he actually uh, died and then resurrected the situation now and then going on into the now situation for people who die without Jesus and, and deliberately say no to him. You know, in the 80, 1980s, I started reading about near-death experiences and it seemed like everything that I read was positive. And then I found a few hellish ones, but hardly any in the books. There weren't many stories at all. I must admit, though, what I did read was very scary, and I was easily convinced. But the question still remains, why were there so few hellish experiences being recorded in the early days of, of, um, of near-death experiences being written down? Well, today, um, lots of near-death experience people um, report hellish experiences. Not everyone goes and has a wonderful meeting of being in light and being loved experience at all. And they range from disturbing to absolutely terrifying. I read of a study of 1,369 people where 23% or 314 people experience going to hellish places. And I read of another researcher who said he records just as many negative experiences as he does positive experiences. But a lot of it has to do with the way that his methodology that is used by he, him or her in talking with the people to get their experiences from them. I want to just play a little bit um, of a clip from Ian, from Ian McCormick. And um, I don't want to go into big detail, particularly on, the, on video about negative experiences, but I want to play Ian because he's a Kiwi, because he's a surfer, um, you know, and because he did experience both ha a short time in, in obviously a hell experience before being taken to heaven. And I think his story is just one, if you haven't heard, you, you'll be um, thrilled to be able to hear it today. to literally close my eyes and I heard an audible voice speak to me. He said, son, if you close your eyes, you will never awake again. I had no idea that was Jesus Christ. I had no idea because I had no belief in God. I fought the poison, staggered down the road, 
and found three Indian taxi drivers. These men um, basically um, said, you drunk? I said, no, I've been hit by five deadly jellyfish. Please help me, I'm dying. They said, how much money do you pay us? We take you to hospital. I said, 50, 100 US. I didn't have the money. Danielle, one of the Creoles, found me carried me into the hotel, saw my arm, told me that this thing will kill me. The, the Chinese owners thought I was on heroin because of the marks on my arm from the jellyfish. I began to go into the death rattles. Fortunately, uh, uh, Danielle had run the hospital. I asked the Chinese, please take me in your car. I said, no, 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 wait for ambulance. I wanted to hit him. I then hear the voice a third time say, if you hit this man, you will never, uh, I mean, you will die. It will kill you right on the spot. So I turned away. Ambulance arrived. In the ambulance, racing to the hospital, my life flashed before me. I then see my mother praying for me. She said, Ian, call out to God, no matter how far from God you are. Things she told me as a, small, as a young child leaving confirmation classes in New Zealand as an Anglican. I prayed. The words appeared, forgive us our sins. Give my heart to you, Lord. Uh, I forgive those who have sinned against me. I got born again, saved in that ambulance. They get me into the hospital. My veins are collapsing. Uh, actually collapsed. No pressure in my veins. Blood, machine, blood pressure machines. The doctors inject me with anti antihistamine, antitoxin. Um, I, am, I am in serious trouble. They say, keep your eyes open, you'll die. I, I can't. I close my eyes and die. I go into a complete darkness, into Hades, and in, in, into hell. I hear men screaming at me, telling me I deserve to be here. Try and move my hand towards my face, I go straight through it, I'm out of my body. I'm thinking, what happened? Surely I prayed in that ambulance. God, why is he sending me to hell? Next minute, light shines in the darkness. I'm drawn out, up into a tunnel of light. Jesus going, narrow is the way that leads to the kingdom of God. And I move through love and peace and joy. I come into the presence of Christ. I see my body is in a transparent spirit-like form out of my physical body. I can see straight through it. Pure love's coming into me. I'm weeping like a child. Jesus is in the midst of the light saying that all my sins are forgiven, that he is light. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5, I step into the light. I see Jesus in his glorified form. I totally changed. Here white as white can be, face shining like the sun, his entire garments pure light, arms outstretched as if to welcome me, out of his face comes more light, I feel purity, holiness enter me, I feel totally clean, he shows me all my sins are forgiven, that I am loved, he, he knows me, knows my name, knows my heart, I step right up next to Jesus in absolute adoration, the beauty of his holiness. I watch Jesus move as if he's like a door of light. I look into eternity and God shows me a new heaven, a new earth, river of life, crystal clear. I see paradise set before me. Jesus then comes back and said, Ian, do you wish to remain here or return? I'm standing in absolute awe thinking, I want to remain here, no one to return for. I look back behind me and see a vision of my mother. God shows me there's one person praying for me, one person will be devastated and would not know I'd become a Christian. I said, God, I want to go back for her. He said, if you return, you must see in a new light. I look back again towards the, towards the darkness with the, of the tunnel. I see now my father, my brother, my sister, hundreds of thousands of people. He said, Ian, I want you to return and tell them what you've seen is true. And I realize as I'm looking at this, Christ loves the entire world. I said, how do I go back? He said, Ian, tilt your head. As Jesus is speaking, I'm back in my body. 
eye is opening, I'm in a slab and a morgue back in the Mauritius Hospital, Victoria, Kunduz. I hear God say, I've just given your life back. Doctor's got a scalpel pricking my base of my foot like a dead piece of meat. Goes through the ceiling, freaks out. I turn my head to the left. Nurses run. I find out now later, run up to a doctor who certified me. He tears the certificate up. I then say, God, please heal me. I've been dead for 15 to 20 minutes. I feel the power of God go through me. I'm completely healed. I walk out of the hospital. Jesus tells me I'm a reborn Christian, that I must read a Bible within six weeks, read the entire Bible. So somebody doesn't believe you? Someone doesn't <laughs> believe me? Well, that's fine. It goes on, and he, he answers a few other questions as well. Um, just a tiny piece of, of Ian experiencing the blackness of Hades and then going into all that, the, that, that he went on to talk about. You know, I don't know why God um, explains to some people uh, that... Uh, can we just leave that screen blank? That's good. Um, some people, hell as well as heaven... But when you think of Ian and the commission that God gave him to speak not only to family but to hundreds of thousands of people, which he has done over the last 20, 30 years, um, you know, he can speak with absolute confidence on both topics, <laughs> both sides of eternity. Um, that, that he knows that it's real. But this underworld, this hell-like cap cap captivity contains people who've died and some fallen angels. You know, I want to just talk about um, another, what I've called a case study of a guy by the name of Dr. Morris Rawlings. And this happened in 1977. And he had a harrowing experience in his medical practice. And Morris said, I, I, I was a doctor, I didn't believe in God, or I didn't, and I didn't believe in an afterlife. But I had a patient who was doing a stress test who went into cardiac arrest and dropped dead in the office. He said, nurses just rushed in and we all started doing CPR on him and trying to save his life and bring him back, but his heart wouldn't maintain its beat. And this is what he writes. He said, I had to insert a pacemaker into, a la into his large the large vein. The patient began coming too, but whenever I would reach for an instrument and interrupt my compression of his chest, he'd lose consciousness, stop breathing and die again. Each time he regained heartbeat and respiration, the patient would scream, I am in hell. He was terrified and he pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death myself with that. In fact, this episode literally scared the hell out of me. After several resuscitations, the man pleaded, don't you understand, I am in hell. So I told him to keep his hell to himself until I finished getting the pacemaker fitted. But the man was serious. How do I stay out of hell, he asked. Pray for me. I thought, what a nerve. I'm a doctor, not a preacher. Pray for me, he repeated again. It was a dying man's request, so Dr. Rawlings drew on every bit uh, of the Sunday school that he remembered. And he had the man repeat, Lord Jesus, I ask you to keep me out of hell. Forgive my sins. I turn my life over to you. If I die, I want to go to heaven. And if I live, I'll be on the hook forever. Don't you love them? He says the patient stabilized. And a couple of late days later, Dr. Rawlings asked him to describe what he saw in hell. And the man couldn't recall any unpleasant event whatsoever. He could only remember pleasant ones that had happened in the subsequent flatlining that had taken place. And Rawlings came, Rawlings came to this conclusion. He said, apparently the experiences are so frightening they were subsequently suppressed far into his subconscious. 
He remembered all the things of being out of his body, watching the operation, and then meeting his deceased mother and his birth mother, whom he'd never seen, but he remembered nothing of the hellish experiences. And researchers building on that have found that unless, unless patients are asked about a hellish near-death experience very quickly after stabilizing, they will often have no recollection. But also, they found that unless a patient is asked by someone who is non-judgmental, who believes them, many people are just completely unwilling to share what they've experienced because they don't want to be called crazy. And I think that goes a long way to answering that question of why there were so few hellish experiences written about um, back in the beginning, in the 80s and 90s. Another case study, um, and these are contained in that book, Imagine Heaven, that I, that I uh, spoke about in the very first um, message. This one was for a 14-year-old girl who became despondent and took her own life. And she was in hospital, and the doctor who, who resuscitated her said she kept saying, Mama, help me. Make them go away. They're trying to hurt me. And the doctors um, that were working on her apologized, but she kept saying, It's not the doctors. It's them, those demons in hell. They won't let go of me. But afterwards... This girl also had no negative uh, experience, recollections at all. But interestingly, several years later, she did go on to become a missionary. And then this case study, which is a little bit more detailed, number four. This person was a professor of art um, in the Northern Kentucky University by the name of Howard Storm. And he suffered a perforated bowel. His bowel burst uh, while he was on a tour of Paris's museums, and he died. And you can read his full account in the book that I described. And he says, as, as soon as he died, he could see his wife with his head in his head in her hands, crying uncontrollably. And he tries to communicate her. So he comes right around the bed, and he, he gets right over her, and he ends up yelling in her ear. But he didn't know he was dead. And he's yelling and yelling, with totally unable to be heard by his wife, who, who has just, you know, uncontrollably crying with what has taken place. And he said it was really misty when he looked around in this new state that he was in. And he begins to hear voices, and he sees beings in what appeared to be white coats and the sort of things that doctors or nurses might wear. But because of the mistiness, he said, and they didn't come very close, but they're saying, come with us, come with us. And so he walks with them, and he walks and he walks and he walks. And after a while, he realizes the hospital isn't this big. Um, I don't know where we are, but these people are not taking me for an operation what's taking place, and he starts walking slowly. And when he, when he walks slowly, these beings come in and they start pushing him and attacking him. So he, he said in his background he was used to fighting, and so he started fighting with them, and he becomes severely attacked by, dead, by these dead people. And he says, when I try to explain this, I don't ever go further, because it was so demeaning. He says, there's never been a horror movie or a book that can begin to describe the cruelty of these dead people. It was purely sadistic. They were so empty, so without compassion or feeling for me. He says, eventually I was eviscerated. I definitely lost one of my eyes. My ears were gone and I'm laying face down on the floor. He said, the physical pain was a 10, but the emotional pain from what they did to me was much worse. And while he's there in that place, lying on the floor, a voice speaks to him, and it says, pray to God. And I thought, I don't believe in God. I don't pray. 
And the voice said to him again, pray to God. Well, Howard said he struggled to remember any prayers. And he remembered, yea, though I walk through the shadow of death. So he spoke it out. And he said, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, which is an old hymn, a line in an old hymn. And then, how about this? God bless America, was another (laughs) prayer that he remembered at this moment. And to his amazement, he said, the cruel, merciless beings, tearing at his life, backed away, filled with rage. And suddenly he remembered a song called, Jesus Loves Me. And he said, hope just came into the center of his life. And he yelled out, Jesus, save me, into the darkness. And he said, I never meant anything more strongly in my life. And when he said, I said, saw that, he said, I saw a light, a tiny little speck that very rapidly got very bright and very big and came right over me. And out of the light, two hands. We can go on a little bit, guys, sorry. Two hands reached down and, and, and lifted me right out um, of, of there. He said, I was just roadkill. But the light began to dissolve the gore, and I became whole. And he he ended up in the arms of Jesus, and he said, I was bawling like a baby with Jesus rubbing my back. And he said, it was then that I knew Jesus loved me. And then shooting, he said he was shooting very fast on and on, and he was taken to heaven with angels all around him. And Howard revived. Now, it's important to realize this because there is no salvation outside of what is available to us on this earth. But this man had not yet passed that point where he was forever eternal in heaven. Can you understand that? A difference? Howard revived, and several years later, he left his career as a professor of a universe, at a university, and he became a pastor. But it raises the question, why hell in the first place? And we've already seen that hell, Gehenna, the the lake of fire, uh, was created by God to contain and punish the devil and his fallen angels. And it's never been God's intention, and it's certainly not God's desire that any human being would ever go there. His desire is that none would perish. But it's all to do with free choice. But it's all to do with free choice. J.I. Packer, who is a well-respected, dead now, but well-respected theologian and pastor of our lifetime, said, hell appears as God's gesture of respect for human choice. Everyone receives what they actually choose, either to be with God forever, worshipping Him, or to be without God forever, worshipping themselves. You see, this life really is a sorting out time where we are given free choice. Everyone on the planet gets free choice. And it's a marvelous gift that no one would want to do away with at all. But it has to be genuine. God didn't create free choice for us, then force us to believe in Him. True? We're not programmed like robots because that would remove the reality of choice. And he didn't take away the consequences of choice. There is no annihilationism for uh, people who do not accept Christ. That would remove the validity of choice. If, If one person could choose heaven and the other was nothingness, then there would be no consequences for those who choose to rebel against God and reject Jesus. 
And he didn't hide the outcome. He didn't hide it. Heaven and hell he spoke about, and he's placed it in the human heart so everyone's heart registers that there is a life beyond this, this life, and that heaven and hell are real. If he did away with that, that would remove the transparency of the choice. Friends, no one will be able to argue and win with God, saying we never knew at all. C.S. Lewis, who is recognized as one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the 20th century in his book, The Problem with Pain, said, ultimately, God does not send anyone to hell. The damned, those going there, who will end up there, are successful in this sense. They are rebels to the end, and the doors of hell are locked from the inside. The result of free choice. Just bring... Hell is the end of a long road of choices. And just as I draw to a close... Hell is the backdrop against which the gospel actually shines. The scriptures say really clearly, Jesus came to save us. Hell is a reality. He's come to save us. He paid the greatest cost and price that anyone could ever pay. And it was God himself paying it to save us, save humanity, save every person ever born on this planet from ever having to go there, that they can be loved, that they can be forgiven, that there is a way out of that. And hell is the backdrop. It's like a, salvation is the diamond and it's placed on the middle of a huge black canvas. And it's only when we see it against that black canvas that the preciousness of salvation stands out truly as it really, really is. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says, God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man, Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everybody. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And then Acts chapter 2 verse 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Even Ian McCormick in the dying moments of his life can't remember a prayer and remembers the Lord's prayer. And so he prays that and gets gloriously saved because he's genuinely giving his life to Jesus, calling on God's name. You know, there's so much for us to be encouraged about in, in what near-death experiences tell us because they, they just... Um, illustrates so perfectly what the Bible actually has said for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Heaven and hell are real. Jesus came to rescue you, me, and everybody. Becoming a Christian makes absolute sense. And sharing that message, message with the world is so, so, so important. And so I want to encourage you to bring near-death experiences up into your conversations with people. You'll find it will take the conversation to a depth so quickly because actually everybody is really interested in this topic. You have to be sensitive. There's timing. And you don't have to force anything on anyone. But knowing these things and how they illustrate what the Bible says is an amazing place for conversation. But you know, as Emma McCormick said, um, 
There's no repenting once you've died. He actually said that before. I, um, uh, I don't think it was in the clip that I gave you. It was in the couple of seconds before the, today. But he said it. There's no repenting. You have to call on Jesus in this life. And I can't finish this message, even if the music team would come. I can't finish this message with giving, without giving you an opportunity. If you've never given your life to Jesus, or you know you're a long way away from him, but you want to do that today. I wonder if we could just have every head bowed. And I just want to ask, give you that space to be able to make that commitment to him today. You know, you will know if God's knocking on your heart. You'll feel it on the inside. You'll literally feel something going on on the inside. It may be like a battle. It may be like something saying, why doesn't he shut up? Why doesn't he keep quiet? Or it may be just a gentle sense of knocking on you that this is your moment. And Jesus is saying, I want you in heaven with me. I died so that you could be with me, so that you could experience my love, so that my favor could come over you in this life and into the next. You know, the thing that separates us is our sin. But the cross was all about taking the punishment for that. And if you want to be forgiven from your sin and given a brand new start, I just want you to raise your hand and I would love to be able to pray with you right now. Is there anyone here today who would like to accept Jesus into their life? That's cool. And the second thing, if you can look up, just as we come to that close, the second thing is, I, I just really encourage you to go there in those conversations. I've been preaching this at three funerals now. It's really interesting how interested people get as I start talking about life after death experiences and the comments that begin to come back. Have fun. <laughs>